Would you please turn with me to your study outline in your program, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and also Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. Now, we've been doing a series leading up to Easter called The Seven Last Words, Last Words, The Seven Last Words Jesus Said on the Cross. And Pastor Eric did a fantastic job of the first two. I have gotten so many rave comments. He did the last two weeks, the first two parts of the seven-part series. I've gotten texts and emails just pouring in. They say, Glenn, stay in Indiana. We are doing just fine uh, here in, in Southern California. So Pastor Eric did the first two, then I'm going to do the next four, and then Pastor Lisa is going to do the seventh word at the Good Friday service, which is such an awesome service here. Good Friday, we will finish up the series, and then all get together at the Fairplex in order to celebrate the resurrection of, of Jesus. Now, today we come to this third word, the word of compassion. And all I can say is, wow, when Jesus is completely tortured in agony, he still thinks to make sure his mother is going to be okay. Like a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Eric said, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He looks out at people that are taunting him, mocking him. He's in agony, and he still says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the same way now, in his moment of agony, he's all about caring and a word of compassion uh, for other people. Uh, John 19, verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, that's the disciple John that wrote the biography uh, of the life of Jesus, John, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, now that seems uh, disrespectful, but actually in this culture, that was considered a formal and a polite way of address. So probably the better translation would be, uh, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his, his home. And according to history, uh, John, when he went to pastor at the church at Ephesus and, and what is today the nation of Turkey, he took Mary with him. And Mary spent her last days there in Ephesus where uh, John was pastoring uh, that, particular, uh, that particular church. Now, um, Jesus employs here a Jewish family law that assigned the care of one person to another. But there's a deeper meaning going on here. Uh, the people who were present at the foot of the cross represented the new community of the church that was born. This new community was started at the foot of the cross. And in this new community of Christ's followers, Jesus wanted them to care for each other in obedience to his command to love one another. Uh, this uh, phrase, new community, my wife Kimberly started a school here on campus uh, called New Community Academy. And she wanted it to be a Christian school where students and staff uh, love and, and care about each other just like Jesus did. But what isn't always this way? The world before Jesus was very different than the world we live in today. And sometimes we take that for granted. And as Christian influence wanes in our culture and society, we will see more of the conditions of what the world was like before Jesus rather than taking for granted the way the world is after Jesus. For example, before Jesus, there was no concept of charity. There was no concept of compassion. It was a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It was a ruthless survival of the fittest kind of world. Uh, David Hans uh, sent me an article the other day, a secular audience, about how secular city planners are worried about inner city churches dying 
in, in, in cities. They're, they're worried about these. These are not Christ followers because they say you don't realize all the social services that a church provides when they're in the heart of a city. And so for those of you that live in Pomona and worship in Pomona, like myself, or maybe you come from uh, cities all around Pomona, there's a reason why God led you here. God called you to come here to give, to serve, to support, so that we would have a thriving in the middle of the city, in the heart of the city, at Holt of Gary, Holton Gary, an inner city ministry that could continue to provide for the needs of the city. And I am so grateful for you that God has called you to this place so that we will, we will continue to thrive. And this city planner said, you don't realize how many social services these kind of churches provide. And he says, you will miss them greatly when they shut down and when they are gone. And so by the grace of God, we will be a light in the heart of this city until Jesus returns. Anybody want to say amen on that one? Okay. So now E.A. Judge talks about the world. He's a prominent historian. And he talks about the world before Jesus. He said classical philosophers, these are people like Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, taught that mercy indeed is not governed by reason at all. And humans must learn to curb the impulse. The cry of the undeserving for mercy must go unanswered. Pity was a defect of character unworthy of the wise and excusable only in those who have not yet grown up. That's the way the world was before Jesus. That's the way the world will become without Jesus. But Jesus came and changed everything. Um, when Jesus was a child, he was the weakest member of his uh, culture at that time, at the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder. Uh, he was one of the weakest uh, in the ancient world's culture as a backwoods poor nation in the backwoods of the Roman Empire, backwater of the Roman Empire. And so Mary and Joseph, we believe that Joseph has died at this point, and Mary is, is a widow, but for the early years, Mary and Joseph, and then later on, Mary cared for him. But now that she's older, she becomes one of the weakest in the ancient world's culture as an elderly widow in a poor country. So she cared for Jesus when he was among the weakest. Now Jesus wants to care for her that she's among the weakest. So Jesus makes sure that she is cared for. I love this quote by Rosalind Carter, former first lady of the United States, uh, married to former president um, Jimmy Carter. There are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. So let's look at these three categories of, of people uh, in the world before Jesus. First of all, uh, the elderly. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees because they weren't taking care of the older people within their society. He says in Matthew 15, verse 3, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is, quote, devoted to God, which didn't necessarily mean they gave it to God's work. It just means it was, quote, devoted to God, and then they'd spend it on whatever they wanted to. They are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now, before Jesus, the elderly were killed off like unwanted children were killed off in this culture. 
uh, just about every tribe before Christ comes to that group of people would take their elderly and would abandon them and, and put them out to the elements uh, and, and uh, to be exposed to the elements until they died. We can see this same attitude making a comeback today. A former Colorado governor, Richard Lamb, said bluntly that the elderly had an obligation to die and get out of the way of the younger population. He said that when he was younger. I wonder if he still believes it uh, uh, today. Um, uh, women were disrespected at this time. Uh, John 8, verses 2 through 5, a very famous story of Jesus. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, last time I checked, it takes two people to commit adultery. The woman's there, the man's not. They made her stand before the group just to shame her. Uh, it says in the next verse, in, in verse 5, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women and such men, by the way. Now what do we say? And if you know that story, Jesus treats her with great kindness and compassion and grace and mercy and respect and forgiveness. Uh, before Jesus, historians of this era tell us that before Jesus, women were considered the property of their husband. Husbands could divorce them for any reason, but a wife could only get a divorce if a male relative sought one on her behalf. Historians tell us that a Greek wife's father or brother could obtain her divorce against her wishes. That is, even if she loved her husband, wanted to stay with her husband, if her brother or her uh, father had a falling out with her husband, then they could force her to get divorced from her husband. Uh, Roman and Greek husbands had absolute power uh, to put an unwanted infant to death or to force a wife to have an abortion. We have a letter from antiquity that goes like this. It's from a husband away working back home to his wife who's pregnant. If good luck to you, you should bear offspring. If it is male, let it live. If it is female, expose it and let it die. Roman wives had very limited property rights. Greek women had none. Neither Greek nor Roman women could be a party uh, to contracts. And then children were not held in great respect or honor or valued in, in that particular culture. We see that in the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now before we get anywhere near uh, the subject of abortion, I just want to say a few words uh, studies show that one out of three Americans have participated in an abortion. And so I know that in a crowd this size or watching online or listening later on, uh, there are many who have participated in abortion. I just want you to know I love you, and Purpose Church loves you. We love you. God loves you. There, there is so much mercy. It's so great. We were just singing the praise song about God's mercy, not just for this, but for many other areas where we have failed God. There is his mercy. And, and, and we care for you. And our, our for-life ministry, our pro-life ministry here at, at Purpose Church has an equal emphasis on protecting the unborn and caring uh, for uh, those women and men that have participated in an abortion. Uh, we want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Uh, we care for you, and we want to help you in your healing. I personally believe, I personally believe 
that if you've participated in abortion, because of the lies of our culture, you are a victim just like the children um, in abortion. In the ancient world, however, child sacrifice was common and so was abandonment. In Roman culture, killing your children was considered an act of beauty. The father had absolute control. He could kill his child, sell them as slaves, marry them off, divorce them, or confiscate their property. George Grant, a prominent historian, said, according to the centuries-old tradition of pater familias, the birth of a Roman was not a biological fact. Infants were received into the world only as the family willed. A Roman did not have a child. He took a child. That sounds like views espoused just a couple months ago by the governor of my home state of Virginia. Immediately after birthing, if the family decided not to raise the child, he was simply abandoned. There were special high places or walls where the newborn was taken and exposed to die. But then Jesus came, and Jesus changed everything. Let's do a snapshot of the world after Jesus. Uh, first of all, the elderly. Now, in the time of Jesus, uh, care for the elderly was not nearly as big an issue as it is today. I, I read a startling statistic the other day. Did you know as recently as 1892, a little over 100 years ago, as recently as 1892, only one in 100 people worldwide lived to be over the age of 65? I'm telling you, 65 is like a child's age now. That, that, you know, if not a child, that's like, that's like a teenager to me, you know? That's young. And yet, just a little over 100 years ago, only one person out of 100 around the world lived over the age of 65. But Christ followers were challenged to care for the elderly. Paul wrote to a younger pastor, uh, Timothy, that he was mentoring. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, speaking of the elderly, a couple of weeks ago, I showed you a picture of my dad uh, and Kimberly at our wedding. So this is uh, my wife, Kimberly, at our wedding 35 years ago, and, uh, and that's my dad. And I joked about how that looked like a picture taken of Kimberly and me just last week. You know, that, that, that is, looks the same thing. And so we tested that theory. My daughter, Leah, uh, tested that theory with my grandson, Jem, and, and here's what happened. Jem, who's that? Grammy. And who's that? Pop Pop. That's Pop Pop? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say my wife has aged more gracefully than I have. Whenever we go out to dinner, everybody in the restaurant thinks I'm rich, is, is, is what they think I am. Let's talk about women. Jesus was radically different, radically different. He treated women with great dignity and respect, and women were a part of his ministry uh, from the beginning of it until the end. In Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says that Jesus traveled about from village to village. Let's go to the next verse, verse 2. It says, some women who had been cured of evil spirits were along with him. Mary called Magdalene, for whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, uh, Susanna, and many and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Women were at the crucifixion. We just saw that in the passage we read uh, earlier. Uh, at the crucifixion, Luke 23, uh, verse 27, a large number of people followed him, including women. They were the first ones there, 
at the resurrection, Luke 24, verses 9 through 10. They come back and they uh, tell the 11 what they had seen. Let's go to verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Uh, Christ's followers began to follow the example of Jesus. Here are some amazing statistics from history, and historians have studied um, ancient documents, and they figured out these things. Uh, 20% of non-Christian women were 12 or younger when they married, usually to much older men. 4% were only 10. In contrast to that, only 7% of followers of Christ were married under the age of 13, and nearly half of Christian women had not married until they were 18 or older, which doesn't seem radical to us at all. It was incredibly radical back then. Why? Because of Jesus. Women were valued because Jesus valued them. They did a historical study of Christian burials in the catacombs under Rome based on 3,733 cases found that Christian women were nearly as likely as Christian men to be commemorated with lengthy inscriptions. Uh, There's a book by Rodney Stark, and by the way, it's a little typo in your program. It's not Clark, but it's Stark. The Triumph of Christianity. This is like one of my favorite books ever. This is an awesome book. And he writes, this near equality in the commemoration of males and females is something that is peculiar to Christians and sets them apart from the non-Christian populations of the city. This was true not only of adults, but also of, of children, as Christians lamented the loss of a daughter as much as that of a son, which was especially unusual compared with other religious groups in Rome. A Hindu woman once asked, once said to a Christian missionary, surely your Bible was written by a woman. He asked her why. Because it says so many kind things for women. Our writers never refer to us but in reproach. And then finally, children. Mark chapter 10. Such a great verse for the child dedication that we, that we just had. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And so followers of Christ started following his example in contrast to the culture around them. Uh, Plato, the great philosopher, wrote a book called The Republic in which he described what a perfect society would look like. And he made abortions mandatory for women over the age of 40. I'm so glad I didn't grow up in The Republic because my mother was about 40 when I was born. Um, Aristotle said there must be a limit fixed to procreation of offspring. That is, you couldn't have too many kids And if any conceive in contravention of these regulations, abortion must be practiced. The Didache, which was a church policy manual uh, from about 100 A.D., said, Thou shalt not murder a child by abortion, nor kill them when they're born. And so Christians started to save babies uh, who had been abandoned, and they started orphanages or adopted them uh, into their families. They either started orphanages or they started adopting them into their own families. James Kennedy writes, Abortion and abandonment disappeared in the early church. 
Through his church, Jesus brought an end to infanticide. Christian influence in the Roman Empire helped to enshrine in law Christian principles of the sacredness of human life. Now, with the few minutes we have left, I'd like to ask uh, uh, Pastor Randy and, and Pastor Tomiko and, and Pastor Jared to come up. And I just want to get practical here at the end. It's wonderful that we have these examples from the past. We're so blessed by our heritage as followers of Christ. But uh, how can Jesus, how can we be like Jesus today? And so, Randy, I'm going to start with you, our pastor of senior adults. Uh, how, how can we care as a church family for those that are older, just like Jesus told us to? You know, Glenn, I, I, I love that quote from Billy Graham. He said, I spent most of my life telling people how to get to heaven, but no one ever told me how to grow old. And a lot of truth to that. And, and uh, since I've become the pastor to adults 50 plus, um, we see reti- pre-retired, retired, and folks who are just tired. And, you know, literally. And, uh, and it takes a lot of courage to grow old. And I've, I've gained a lot of courage watching some of our elderly walk this particular stage of life. And um, I, I think there's two or three things as a church we could do for them. One is to respect them. And uh, because many of them have, have become marginalized in their lives and their influence and affluence, they, um, they've kind of, uh, they've sort of lost their health, their senses, some of their savviness. And we need to look after them. We need to respect them by being kind to them and protecting them and, and just lending a helping hand. I think another thing the church can do is, uh, and I, I get this out of Matthew chapter 11, we can reassure them, reassure them as they, as they become elderly. Uh, John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest prophet, was in prison um, uh, before his death, and Jesus had this sense that he was, he was homebound, he was isolated, he was, he was a shut-in, and he sent the disciples to tell him, uh, John, the lame still walk, the blind still see, those who are deaf are hearing, people are being raised from the dead, the gospel is advancing, just to prepare him for what lied ahead. And I think that's a big part of what we can give to our elderly. And then finally, I think, is just to remember them. Don't forget them. And I really think the church, uh, God blesses the church that does not forget its elderly, but remembers them, supports them. We have a great ministry called VIPS. It's an acronym for Volunteers and Pastoral Service. And we visit those who are shut in and homebound and just bring the love of Christ to them. So those are a few things. Let's hear from Pastor Randy leading us in this area. My goodness. And Pastor Tomiko, um, our justice ministries pastor, our pastor of justice, um, what do we do for women that are being trafficked? What do we do for children, in your case, particularly the unborn? So Everyone Free is our anti-trafficking ministry. We started eight years ago under the leadership of Pastor Lisa, and we are eradicating human trafficking in Pomona in the Inland Valley. And it's because of you guys, because as a church, you, you have taken a stand against the injustice of exploitation in our in our community. And so many of you have been involved in giving freedom bags um, that we give to victims of human trafficking. We give out about 200 a year um, throughout Southern California. 
Uh, many of you men, dozens of you, have taken a stand on the corner of Holt and Gary, um, saying men and women should not be sold in our city. Um, you've volunteered at our at-risk events for girls, and we do this because we know that girls between the ages of 12 to 14 are so vulnerable for trafficking. That's the average age of entry into sexual exploitation in our country. And so we have said we are going to minister to girls um, that are between those ages. Um, some of you have invited us to speak in your workplaces, in your classrooms, um, to educate students um, and your employees and your coworkers about human trafficking. Um, and so because of all of that, we are eradicating um, trafficking right here in our community. Um, and one of the things we're really excited about and you can be praying about is uh, we are just launching a new partnership with the city of Pomona and the district attorney's office to serve women who have been arrested for prostitution and sex trafficking. Um, and now, in just a couple of months, these women, um, if they so choose, will be invited to attend classes and group classes with us um, so we can work with them to get out of the life of prostitution. Oh, so that awesome? <laughs> Um, okay, how about for the unborn? Yes, for the unborn. And, and one more thing, too, is that we're launching a new ministry, and this is a kind of a bridge between um, our anti-trafficking ministry and, and for life ministries, is a new ministry we're starting called Chosen, um, which you'll hear more about in the coming weeks. Um, but it's a ministry serving children in foster care and, um, and, and serving adoption. And, so. and, and you just went... Tamiko just took a team and, and goes yeah. over to the social workers because yes. we know what a hard profession yes. that is. Mm -hmm. And any of you that are in social work, you are our heroes. And uh, took some food over yes. to them and told them that Purpose Church loved them. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. My, myself and Michelle Doherty, who's our team leader, we took, uh, we ministered about 85, or not, well, said, we love you on behalf of all of you guys of Purpose Church because we know what a hard job that is over at the DCFS office here in Pomona. And they serve a thousand children. So uh, we did that because of you guys. So thank wow. you. Uh, and then for life ministries, um, this is a, a ministry, a pro-life ministry of our church, and it, it is a team of amazing people. When I say amazing, I mean amazing. And this team comes from all different backgrounds. We have some who are post-abortive. We have those that have um, been teen parents, those that were raised by teen parents, um, members of the medical community. We even have a team member who used to work at Planned Parenthood. Because of all these experiences, they are ob obviously very passionate about life, but they are passionate about serving you, serving our community, um, walking alongside those that have an unexpected pregnancy, walking alongside those that are post-abortive through a healing Bible study that we lead, um, and also helping us as a church engage in praying to end abortion through 40 Days for Life, as well as engaging with Choices, which is the Christian pro-life clinic here in Pomona. It's the only clinic in between La Puente and Fontana, so it's a huge distance. It's the only Christian crisis pregnancy Center, um, and it's right here in Pomona, serving the city here, and so we're able to help you guys engage with the ministries there. And so our team is out in the lobby. They have this awesome pin with the logo you see up there on the screen, and they would love to chat with you if the ministry would be of uh, service to you or someone you love or you want to get involved. They'd love to chat with you today. Let's thank Pastor Tomiko. My goodness. Now, uh, Pastor Jarrett, we're going we're gonna to pivot a little bit. Like the old-fashioned Puritans used to call people before the church to rebuke them of their sin. Okay, what we used to do. Okay, Pastor Jarrett, our worship pastor, 
is, uh, he's an actor. You all know he's an actor. You've seen the movie our church produced, Turnaround Jake. And, and uh, so he's, he's, he's an actor, very good actor. Uh, he is in a movie that comes out this Friday. He is acting in an R-rated movie, okay? Now, okay, now, now how cool are we? Uh, you know, so, so, anyway, there's only two times. I'll explain very quickly here before the deacons have a Monday night emergency meeting, you know, called this. At any rate, this is the only, I've only known of two Christian movies that got an R rating. Uh, one, The Passion of the Christ, because of the brutality of the cross. But then this one, we think this R-rated movie, the movie's called Unplanned. It's coming out this Friday. Hope you'll go to it. Tamiko, your team has cards that show the theaters where it's going to be at. But it's all the big ones that we tend to use on here. Laverne 12, uh, Harkins. I mean, there, there's a bunch of them around here. It comes out this Friday. I really want you to go see it. But um, it's kind of political that it got the R rated. Explain that, Jerry. Yeah, so the MPAA gave it an R rating um, for reasons. Uh, it's funny. I've seen the movie. It's kind of laughable that they gave it an R rating. There's other movies that they've, that they've rated PG-13 that have had way more blood. Um, and guts and gore and all that stuff. This movie, though, doesn't... It, it just shows two abortions, one through an ultrasound and another one f- through the pill. And it's not, um, it's not explicit, uh, but um, it is very disturbing. And so I would say uh, the MPAA rating is probably laughable, um, and they probably did it for political reasons because they don't want young women to see the movie because it is a powerful film. Um, I saw it. It's very persuasive, and... Uh, and so they probably were trying to keep people away. Um, and here's the other thing. There was an article that came out yesterday. One of the, one of the directors had said um, that uh, if, if they had tried to contest the rating, which they could have, um, it would have delayed uh, the, the release of the, the movie by like six months, which right now is kind of a hot time for, um, for pro-life ministry, pro-life, uh, because of what happened in New York and what happened in Virginia and everything. So it's a really important time. And God kind of allowed it to be. So, so anyway, R, so rated R for recommended, especially, uh, especially if you're in, um, yeah, go but, see it. It's going to be great. But especially, you have four young boys. Yes. I, so yeah. what age would you say would probably Well, nothing okay. bothers Everybody's my different. kids. Everybody's different. We know that. Everybody's different on this. Yeah, nothing bothers my kids. But yeah. I think, uh, no, just kidding. Uh, it, it would say, I would say probably high school. Because in high school, they're being told, um, you know, through curriculum, like by the state, that it's a good thing, it's positive, um, that you need to go get this abortion, don't tell your parents. There's so many things, and they have no idea what they're getting into. And this film really does peel back the curtain. The whole thing takes place in a Planned Parenthood, and it deals with the workers there very compassionately. It deals, it's, they, it humanizes them. It makes it a really interesting story. Um, but it's about Abby Johnson and her powerful testimony where she had never seen an abortion and she sees one and it changes her mind immediately. She gives her life to Christ, changes everything. And, um, so it's, it's a powerful story. So anyway, if you get a chance, please, if you support, if you know anybody, please support this and anyone that's on the fence, go see it because it is highly persuasive. Um, anyway, so go check it out. And you called it a concentration camp moment. I remember when Allied troops started moving across and freeing the concentration camps after the Holocaust, they were just appalled at what they found. And this is kind of a peeking behind the curtains. Yeah, because they've sterilized it with language. Um, So they've used language to make it seem like this is just a medical procedure when in fact it's a murder. Mm -hmm. And um, they've made it something. Anyway, so this is a concentration camp moment because from here on, nobody's going to be able to say that they didn't know. 
Okay, very good. Let's thank Jared for being in this movie. And uh, um, it's a really small part. Yeah. And it's, it's it's a small part, but yeah, it's don't a very blink. but it's a very strategic part. And you're it a bad and you're a bad guy. I hear. I am this. a bad guy. I am a bad dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's strategic. Yeah. But, but your heart softens a little. Don't bl bl don't blink. That's all okay, I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. No. No. Okay. Good. Good. Now you know what, Jared. I am so sorry. Um, because you took so long, we can't do closing worship. I'm just joking. I'm the one. I'm the one. I am the sinner. Let's, let, uh, let's, you can do a shortened version of the worship. We, you know, after we're going to see this trailer, we're going to want to worship for a couple minutes. We're just, we're going to want to become before God. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. So let's watch the trailer. Let's worship for just a few minutes. We'll get you out of here.